when we become more awakened, there is a correlation, I would say, there between the mind clarity and the awakening. Some people may, may t take offense to that, um, but I would just say, when, if the conversation is, how do I become a better version of myself? When you look at things like the hormone, you know, the hormone regulation, the immune response, the energy levels, the recovery between workouts. I mean, now, what, what, I don't know if you get this, Claude, where you are, but I get where, you know, I'll post a really healthy thing that I ate, a, big, a great soup or a fruit bowl or whatever, and they'll be like, well, okay, that's great, but, you know, you're going to be hungry in, in two hours, right? Like, I, I get that. You're going you're gonna to be hungry in, in two hours, so that's sort of a justification for let me eat something that's questionable or crappy because at least it's satisfying and you can work longer and harder and and so there's sort of that that's sort of the uh, a mindset a block i think some people have too which is eh, your, your food's healthy but it's just not full it's just not fulfilling that's an interesting one isn't it because i think most people eat more than they need you can get into a habit of eating a lot of food. I mean, I eat a lot of food, but because of the food I eat, I don't put on weight because of the type of food that I'm eating. So if you're eating fruits and vegetables, you can eat lots more of it. If you're eating bad food and you eat lots of it, you're going to suffer the consequences of that. It's really that, pretty much that simple. But going, going back to the consciousness thing that you mentioned about elevating your consciousness. I think without maybe people realizing it, that it's easier to not have an elevated consciousness because you don't have to ask those questions. So you keep yourself dumbed down to a degree because you don't have, and, it, and the, the, the thought that came into my head when you were talking about it was that one of the reasons I walked away from boxing was because my consciousness changed about what boxing was all about. And it was, it's a subject matter that people don't like, people in boxing don't like to talk about. The fact that it is intrinsically dangerous and the objective is to hurt one man to hurt another man and to cause a lot of damage. And if you think about that and you focus on that, and that is realistically is what it is, then it's hard to really enjoy it. So you don't want to go to that place because it spoils your enjoyment. So people that are eating less than optimal diets don't want to go to that place because it's going to spoil their enjoyment of their food. Much better to stay at a lower energy frequency where you don't have to ask those hard questions. Yeah, you know... Then you can carry on making those decisions. We need to talk about about the fight game a little bit, and we're going to change gears here for the listeners. We're going to change because Claude uh, and I both were journalists for many years, and we both also have in common a mutual love or a boxing. And I, of course, I work for Ultimate Fighting Championship, and it's interesting because there there are a lot of parallels. Now, you can even see on social media, Claude and I don't agree on everything. I know that may surprise some people if you listen to the first hour. We do not agree on everything. You know, we are humans. We come from very different backgrounds. It's okay. Um, but but we, if we were to talk about a bunch of issues and really dig in, we, we don't agree on everything. And that's healthy and that's good. I still respect 
uh, Claude, I expect the Spacey comes in. But as it happens, we do agree on another thing, which is to really question some of the violence in the world, including in sports. And I love NFL football, for instance. I played football in high school. Love the game. I love the fight game. I, of course, I grew up wrestling, and I have a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've trained with a lot of the UFC fighters. And yet, I have to say that I do, and I can't attribute this necessarily to the food. I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg. You start eating healthy first, or do you start having a heightened level of consciousness and awareness, and then you start analyzing what you eat. I don't know what came first, but I do know that as it happens, much like the old, I think it was the Shogun Samurai Musashi, where as you get older and you look upon violence, if, if, you, are a, if you are a deeper thinker, if you're really going deep and you're doing the spiritual work and you're really analyzing things, you look at violence differently. And even for someone like me, I grew up in Baltimore. Baltimore is one of the most violent cities in America. It's got probably the highest homicide rate over the last 40 or, you know, 40 or so years. And, and so I grew up around violence and that violence sort of becomes normal. And so you become a little desensitized to it. It's like, well, fist fight, somebody gets beat up, somebody gets knocked out. That just happens. I mean, that's just the way it goes, right? That's the code and that keeps you safe. That's how you operate. And then you go up and you, you know, we grew up watching boxing and, 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 and now I do, I look at violence differently as I become, because what I realize for myself, uh, Claude, is I realize that I haven't been a balanced person. As I, as I get to higher states of consciousness and awakening, and I'm nowhere near high, 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 right? I've got a long ways to go. I'm just really high. I'm at a high level of awakening relative to where I was, right? Relative to me, I'm running my own race. I'm in a much higher, I'm operating in a much higher state of awareness and consciousness for me. And when I look upon some of the previous things that I did and I, I, I you know, you get older and, and you realize like, you, you realize you need balance. And there's all this violence that I've seen from the fight sports to street fights to, you know, I saw a guy get, you know, get shot before and, I, and I've seen people just say the meanest, nastiest things to people. And I've had my own arguments with people where I was saying mean things, they were saying mean things, and we were saying everything we could to hurt each other with words. And, and, and I look at it and I'm like, wow, like violence, 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 violent words, violent imageries, violent movies, violent sports, violent this, and, and it's just so normal. And then what I've realized at this stage of my life where I'm out here in the Utah mountains and I get to walk around the river almost every day and cycle and, and work out in the parks and, and, and have the sun shine down on me and, and, and see water flowing and stillness and meditate and listen to Tao Te Ching and, and listen to some of the sages and feed myself spiritually. And as I do that, I realize how imbalanced I've been because there's been all this violence, violence, violence. What's the, what's the balance? I mean, it's, like, it's, it's peace. It's, it's a state of peace, right? I've, I've seen these states of violence, even what's going on in the world now with all the fear. That's a state of violence. We can call it by many names. But when that many people around the world are scared and they're terrified and they're arguing, right? They're bickering all over Facebook. People don't realize, like, again, our lower selves, we don't realize that's violence. That in its own way, trying to impose everything on everyone, impose all of our ideas on everyone, trying to argue and confront everyone and show them we're smarter and they're wrong. And uh, that is actually that imposition, that habit. It's usually, usually, including me, most of my life when I was doing it, it's not coming from our higher self. It's not coming from a pure and good space. 
And it's closer to violence than it is to peace. It's clo- Even the way I'm talking now, even look, as much as I'm moving, moving more toward peace, even the tone I have, it's still, you can see Baltimore, right? You can take the kid out of the street, but you can't take the street out of the kid. You can still see it's a lot of work to get to where, like, there's still that Dan Gable Frank, right? B- Baltimore City Frank. It's hard. But there, it, there are the seeds of awareness, of awakening, where I look and I'm like, you know, people will say something or they'll do something stupid or they'll be really rude or they'll cut you off or whatever. The thing, everyday things. That, and I, I can say that 99 out of 100, I handle that times 10 than I ever did before. I pause and I say, eh, there's a tendency for inner city Frank to come out and say, hey, what are you doing? You know, the Tommy Hearns Frank to come out and be like, hey, dude, what are you doing? Did you just disrespect me? Who are you talking to? Who do you think you're talking to, right? You know, that's, that's how a Baltimore kid would, hey, well, you know, that's how a fighter would, a lot of fighters, hey, well, who do you think you're talking to, you know? And now I'm looking and I'm thinking, wait, you know, Wayne Dyer used to say, it's better to be right than kind. And he got it from somewhere else, but it's better to be right than kind. And I think a lot about that. I'm sorry, it's, it's better, to be, better to be kind than right. And we don't realize that even trying to be right, because when we're trying to be right, it, a lot of times it brings out our worst self. Like if we're really trying to be right in terms of I'm right, Claude's wrong, and I'm going to prove Claude wrong, and I'm going to make him look silly, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy him in a debate. And where's that coming from? What space is that coming from, right? Like what space? And that's not to say that we don't do it. I'm not saying I don't still do it. I'm just saying I'm aware of it now and I catch myself. And when I go off on my own on my bike and whatever, and I say, Frank, why'd you say that? That's not who I want to be, right? I have an ideal now, a core value. And I say, I want you to be balanced. I've already done the warrior stuff. I know nobody knows me just like nobody knows Claude. That doesn't minimize the intention and the life that I've lived and the cool stuff I've done and the things I've learned. That doesn't mean the fact that that I have 800 followers on, on you know, Instagram doesn't minimize to me my journey or how adventurous it's been and how incredible it's been or the same for you, Claude. When I look at it, it's been an amazing journey, but I look at it now and I'm like, you know, that, that violence more and more doesn't serve me. I need, I've already done that warrior thing. I've already done it. I've done the fights in the streets. I've done the arguing. I've done trying to be the smartest person and I argued with everybody. I know better than them and I research and I work harder than them and I'm better than them. And I've done that. And guess what? I, I can't say that there's something wrong with that. I can just say for me, I don't feel balanced with that anymore. I want to at least balance it. I can't say never to, to violence. There's a time to fight. But I can just say that I was way too quick to fight and it didn't serve, in, in the vast majority of instances, it didn't serve me. And now I'm like, dude, peace, 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 peace. Bless people. Like, you know, say a prayer for them. They don't even know you just said a prayer for them. You know, look at them in a way that you see something special in them, that you see what they could be. You see a higher them, even though they're not there. You know, so that, so to what you're, you know, what you're saying about fighters, I said this you know, eight, nine, ten years ago, and I think it'll be true, I used to say to my buddies, in 20 years, I, I won't watch fights. Now, I'm not there now. I still enjoy them. But I'm not where I was, which is why I'm, you know, part of the reason. I, I'm just not where I was because part of it is that, you know, like, it's, it's, I'm okay with watching some of the fights, Claude, where it's a competitive fight and nobody's really getting busted up. They're both tough and whatever. 
and I'm okay with that. But when you see where it's like, stop this, or it's so one-sided, and, and, you, and you just think, those are the ones that really, and there, there are quite, a, uh, quite a, 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 a lot of those. You know, if you just see two tacticians boxing, right, and, and they're, they're both, and, and it's not brutal, and it's not violent, and it's not like, you know, rock'em, sock'em robots, I mean, that, that, uh... That's more artistic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so, some, some of those... Yeah. But I get really uneasy when I see two guys or two women hammering, like that UFC fight recently, the, the, the Polish girl. And the Chinese girl, yeah. Oh man, that was brutal, and I was watching that. But it's what, for me, I understand the, and I always have understood the, the fighters and why they do it. I understand why they do it. Because this is, this is what they are. This is what they're good at and this is how they're trying to excel in their lives but as a spectator I have a problem because I'm getting pleasure from seeing the violence and that's why I struggle and when I observe the actions of people when there's a fight like that I kind of I question what's really going on there you hear the you hear the language, you hear the emotion, and a lot of it, it's, it's, it's dehumanizing. And is that, is that the society we've become? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in a space now where I, again, I don't like, I try my best not to impose on people. I enjoyed the martial arts, the fight game, boxing, and I am fine with, um, you know, I, I still will go to the sport. I still watch the sport. I still have good relationships with a lot of the fighters. Um, I would say, you know, it's just a season of my life where I do, I do watch it less than I did. And I think it's because I spend, again, I think for the way that I think is in terms of seasons of our life. It was certainly in me. And that was a big season of my life where it was front and center. And there's an old saying, you know, hurt people hurt people. And I think that I sometimes think the fight game is kind of like strip clubs where, you know, if you have all those strip clubs in, in Las Vegas, if you had, if people had really wholesome childhoods and there was a lot of love in the homes and all the right things, it would be hard to have strip clubs. Not impossible, but you just wouldn't have a whole lot of them if, if you had a, you know, utopia where there was love and, you know, it's never going to exist, but you just wouldn't have. You have... A proliferation of that because there's a lot of people that don't feel good about themselves and there's a lot of desperation in the world there's a lot of self-loathing and there's a few other things but most of those things are not coming from a high space of self they're not coming from a higher sense of self right they're not coming from a pure higher space and a higher vibration and I think in the fight game too it's like most of us, including me, it's like there's always some issue. There's something chasing you. There's some demon chasing you. There's something to prove. There's some way out. There's some anger. There's a lot of negative fuel around that. And that's how it was for me. And so just for me in my life, right, there are different chapters. I benefited tremendously from those chapters. And I think for me personally, I needed to experience a lot of that. But where I am in just in my life now, 
And, and what I want to, you know, I didn't realize this, Claude. I mean, I used to think this is how naive I was and how wrong I was. I think I was wrong. But I used to think that, hey, the, the best thing you could do, Frank, is to be super smart and win, you know, win debates and show people how great you are and win awards and win medals and be a world champion. And I thought that, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But I thought, you know, make a lot of money. I did think that once upon a time. I really normally was never money-driven. But there were a few years where I did become money-driven. The vast majority of my life, I was not money-driven, which I think is why I don't have much money. But, but there were a couple years there where I was like, all right, a lot of my years were win the most awards, go to law school, do this, you know, do this, do all these things, win awards, you know, outwork everybody, be incredible, you know, win the debates, you know. That sort of thing. And now what, what I'm realizing is, to me, the most important thing is what do you exemplify? Like what example do you set? Like be the thing. It's not how well you talk it. I used to say, well, I can write it really well. I can speak it really well. I can get on a stage and say it well. But I think much, much higher is to just be the example. Even the person who is the example of these higher things, right? You have some of these monks or, um, you know, just some of the great spiritual leaders. It, they have a great economy of words usually. They don't say as much. But you can tell there is an aura that they are living this. This is not just, and they're not as eloquent. They're not as fluffy. They're not as charismatic. But what's the power? It's just the power of example. And so I realized that I've spent a lot of my life insecurely trying to cover up the insecurity with what awards, go to college, try to go do this, do this bigger than everyone else, right? Playing the game, the rat race and thinking that's how I'll cover up and mask my insecurities or band-aid them. And then I realized like, dude, I think the highest thing you could be, Frank, is to is your attitude right having a great attitude coming from a great spiritual place a place of great intentions and just being a really good example and then everything else is secondary it's not about i see a lot of people that aren't famous and they're just people in our own zip code or our community and they're phenomenal people and they're incredible they set an incredible example and most people are never going to know their name and i look at them now with these new eyes with these peaceful eyes right this peaceful prism and i'm like Oh my God, these are incredible people. These are more incredible than a lot of the people I see on TV and famous and this and that. And these, these Jedis have been here the whole time and I just missed them. And they're peaceful and they're exemplary and they're good hearted and they don't want any attention. And they're not trying to, you know, they're, they're not doing things just for money or to sell somebody something they don't need. So anyway, what I'm saying is, to your point about boxing, it's there's a big change and shift in me now, which is I still enjoy the fight game. I still enjoy the martial arts. I needed it, but I want to balance the scales. I'm just not I'm just not there as much because I want to be my spiritual like becoming the higher spiritual self is it to me is so much more important. And I don't think that a lot of that violence I don't I don't think it serves me now. I just it doesn't I don't. When I have those, you know, thoughts, or I, I just don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that part of that's, me. That's that's just evolution, right? That's that's you evolving. We're, we're ne- one one guarantee in life is that we're we're going to change. That that's it's impossible to to stop that. It could be a microscopic change, 
could be a dramatic change, but change is going to happen. We're going to age. We're aging by the second. You can't stop it. So that's part of your evolution. And, and, and all the stuff you talked about, you know, wanting to be the best at this and, and debating and making money, you know, that, that's kind of a, a reflection of where you came from and the challenges you had in your early life. And your circumstances and that's you discovering yourself isn't it and that's and you've had to go through that to get to where you are now that was an important curve that you had to navigate and now you're at a different stage and 10 years from now you'll be at another different stage but i think the point you were making about you know the balance is that i often think when when people come to me to work out um, the culture now is when you go in the gym, is to work as hard as you can, to bust the gut, yeah. beat yourself up. Yeah. This is the, the fashionable style of training. And the, the real question is, does that individual need that type of training? So if you've got a guy who is in banking and he's under a lot of stress every day in his job, he's got stress at home, and he comes to you for a workout, do you really need to give him a ton of stress in the workout? Where, where is the respite in his life? How, is, how does his body benefit from that? He's better off going to do some yoga and meditation, because that's the balance. Whereas somebody who sits on a sofa all day and doesn't do much activity probably needs to do a, a, hard, a slightly hard knock. Obviously, I'm, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't punish them right. either because right. they're not physically able right. to resist, to handle that. But you would build them up. Yeah. You would build them up. But they need something a little bit more challenging. So you've got a little And I think there's a one-size-fits-all culture in the fitness industry, which is everybody needs to go to the max. No, no pain, no gain. One of my one of my most hated statements. No pain, no gain. Because Pain is a sign that there's a problem. It's an alarm bell. People keep pushing the pain button. Yeah, it's interesting because it's the same, you know, that you're you're on the thinner side in terms of, you know, you're you're very athletic and you're muscular and you're very strong for your, you know, for your size and your age. But even me, I mean, even though I may look a little muscular, I'm on the skinny side. In person, I'm not a big guy. I'm 145 pounds. And, uh, and I've always been, even, even when I try, I mean, except for when I was in college and eating, just feasting, and I was 167. But for most of my life, I've been very skinny. And so there's also that stigma. That's something that holds a lot of people back because we came from the old Joe Weider days, those muscle magazines and the bodybuilding magazines and Schwarzenegger and Stallone. And it was just beef up. And, and again, when you think about intelligent, like to your point, the name of your gym, intelligent strength and, and functional muscle and sustainable, right? What's actually good for our joints to, to, to not have pain and, and strain the joints and strain the ligaments. And a lot of people can get so caught up in that aesthetic where, oh, you're skinny, Frank. You know, I had so many, I've had, you know, women, my mom used to say, I mean, I had so many people in my life, oh, you're skinny, you little skinny with a skinny twerp, whatever, you know, skinny, 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 skinny. And that sort of psychologically scars a lot of people too because they're thinking, well, if I eat too healthy, and we even have it even here in, in, in America, there are certain cultures where, including my ethnicity, where they're Italian, and people are like, well, to be 
to be on a little bit on the heavy side or the fat side is, is a sign of robust, it's a sign of health, it's a sign of prosperity. And there are cultures where even the women, where it's like, you know, they have more curves and that's, and that's honor, right? A woman needs to be like, well, if I eat that, I'm going to lose my curves. I'm going to lose my bang. You know, what, what makes people, what turns heads. And, and there's a real psychological conversations that people are, they don't realize it, but they're having that, right? And that there's, there's cultural um, things that go into that. But, but so, but, but staying on theme with, with this, um, winding down here because we're, we're about 90 minutes so do you in terms of the experts right so there's a lot of people saying even now with public health public health experts said right how do you referee the experts when you're going through literature and scientific studies and what will work how do you referee that because there's a lot of people with phds went to good and there's so much disagreement even amongst especially in nutrition there's a new study that will believe one thing today and there'll be a new study coming in a couple years that'll be supposedly a good study and they'll hail it. How do you referee that and decide, you know, and, and how does that guide your eating choices, nutrition that's choices? Such a, that's such a tough area, really, because the science and then there's skewed science and then there's paid for science. And then there's the media and they and how they convey science. And often media will get a science paper and they will see an interesting story within that and they will just print it. And people who often don't do their research will just read that headline and think that's that's fact. That's fact. And then there's paid for science where there's uh, very powerful industries that have the money to uh, fund scientific studies, but there's obviously a clear conflict of interest. But again, if you don't look for the source, you're going to be misled into what are the facts. And science isn't really uh, an indication of what is factual, it's just an an experimental outcome. And really, I think you have to look at who's doing, who's providing the science. We have to then spend time, spend time knowing about the individuals and whether you trust them and whether they're consistent in their message and whether there are other people that you respect who are echoing the same information. And then there's also experimenting with that information to see does it work for you the way it did in that experiment? But it's a hard process, and I think there's so much conflicting information, and I think there's a lot of deliberate conflicting of information because it keeps people confused, and when people are confused, they don't know how to make choices, and then you can sell them anything. So it becomes really hard for the man in the street who's also overworked and believes they're out of time. They don't have the energy or the time to put in to uncovering the truth. And, there's a, and as you said in one of the, your, uh, what you said earlier, that there's a lot in that, in that field that we do not know, that hasn't been uncovered, hasn't been identified. So we can only act in the best way possible given what has so far been discovered. 
Yeah, it's... you have to remain open to changing your mind in the future if new information becomes available. It's interesting because you and I, with our backgrounds as journalists and also in the fight game, you might watch a fight, right? Back when you were into it, but you might watch a fight, and then after the fight, you get to interview the fighter, the athlete, and you get to ask them questions. And just by watching a fight, right? A fight can be entertaining, but there's a lot. You don't know the inner thought of someone, right? You want to get the inner perspective. Well, what were you thinking there? And what, what were you saying to yourself when you went to the, there, the end of round 11 and whatever? And so you can get a window into someone the way that they think. And based on those interviews, not just based on the way someone fights, but based on the interviews that someone does, right, how they're presented in the media and magazine stories and newspaper stories, how they carry themselves at press conferences, people can decide, oh, I like, I'm going to root for so-and-so. They watch the press conference, they hear someone speak, they hear their story, and they, and they say, I wasn't a fan when I watched them fight. Sometimes you're not a fan of people when you watch them fight, but when you watch them speak or you watch them doing other things, you're like, oh my goodness, that person, or they're doing charity events, or whatever they're doing, and you decide, I'm going to root for so-and-so because they're a good person. I love the way they interview. I love the way they carry themselves. I love how they help the community, right? And so what I'm, where I'm going with that is, I think the same way about the scientists. There are a lot of these scientists, including some of what's going on now. I would love to see, we won't, I would love to see some of the scientists who are in these labs, these classified labs, where there have been $200 million spent to study XYZ virus, and I would love to see them come forward and ask some questions. In other words, truth is transparent. Let's be out there, right? Let's be like, let's, that becomes more trustworthy when you say, look, Frank, the scientists who did this study, like Dr. Greger does do that, right? I mean, even though he's not on the front lines in vitro in the lab in the Petri dish, but he is, he is reading it, he is digesting it, he is absorbing it, he is living it, right? He is living it. He is, you can tell, because he's out there every day, you're like, wait, this guy's on it every day, he's, he's learned it, he's puts himself out there, so you can judge that credibility on a day-by-day -day basis, because he's got so much content, you can tell, well, is Gregor just making stuff up, or is he actually, devout? I mean, clearly, if you follow the guy, you're like, he's clearly reading a lot of journals and following stuff and digging in, and you can hear in his voice and the way he presents himself what his biases might be, what his perspective is, and then you can make an informed decision. And what the problem with a lot of the science, too, in addition to 800-pound gorilla, where's the money coming from? But a lot of the problem, too, is they're just these faceless, invisible, behind-the-scenes people, and you would love to see them like and, and, and hear them talk and even have interaction and be like, you know what? They... I, I was suspicious of the study, but talking to this person, they're so credible. They answer all your questions. They're fully transparent. And then that breeds, that fosters. So like a lot of what's going on in the world now, I think, some people don't trust some of the, you know, what they're hearing from some experts because they're just thinking the process doesn't seem transparent. There are so many outstanding questions and they leave it to, they don't answer it or they give a soundbite and a statement or something. And it's like, wait. If this is so truthful, if this is so right, why can't you stand in front, just like what you and I are doing? I don't know where this whole conversation is going. I'm coming from a pure space. You don't know. I mean, we, I sent you, I showed you some questions we would have. We've went off script. We, I don't know what I'm even going to say next. You haven't scripted anything you're going to say. And so there's a, there's a genuineness there to say, well, we're coming at least from a genuine space. I'm talking about what I really believe in. You're talking about what you believe in. I'm talking about what I've lived 
And, and people can judge from that. They can judge the credibility, the intentions for themselves because of our voice, because of our mannerisms, because of what we're, our word choices, etc. Right? The, 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 our attitude. And I just think that science needs more of that where it's these behind the scenes paid for something and like, hey, put yourself out there so that we can, we can be involved and you can be transparent. We want to pick your brain the same way we pick the athlete's brain and say, you know what? I'll be honest. I'll be like, you know what? You're so much more transparent. You're answering so many more questions. I want to reread your study. I think I might be wrong because you are a really, you seem to me to be a really upstanding person coming from a good space. I'd love it, Claude, if we could do that. How often do you get to do that? How often do you get like meet the scientists? Like how often they're behind the scenes, they're muzzled. A lot of them, because somebody paid for it, they're muzzled. They're, they send out a press release. They say, they send out press releases. They, they, they do a quote or a short interview with a journalist, like you said. There's no deeper context. So many questions are unanswered. Here's the data. The study speaks for itself, but all studies have flaws. You're thinking, well, wait, can we ask 10 follow-up questions? Can, we, can you take me through your process? What even made you want to do this so I can look at the space you're coming from? Can I ask you about potential conflicts of interest, where your money comes from? Can you answer that on camera, right? When, when people can't, when things are not transparent and they're left to the imagination, you have a lot of times people question the credibility. It's like, Okay, it's Cornell University. Well, okay, it's great. Cornell's a great university, but I want to meet the actual scientists. They have a guy really quick. Have you ever heard of Robert Lustig at University of California, uh, San Francisco? No. You heard? He's a big... So he, they do a ton of research. If you want to look at... I don't know if the UK has this problem, but they have. we have a big sugar addiction problem here in America, and they do a bunch of research on the sugar. And he's done books. His name's Lustig, L-U-S-T-I-G, but he's a... He's a maniac about sugar and all the sugar and all the processed sugar. And he's, a, he's interesting to, to, to listen to, talk to. But, like, he's an example of a guy who's, you know, who's doing a lot of the research. And you can, people can at least look at him. He's out there. And they can judge him and say, same thing with certain doctors that are out there. I like that. that that's why some of these alternative docs, people say, well, they're alternative and they're this or they're holistic. And they're supposed to be like, yeah, they're not as smart or whatever. But, you know, but... But at least a lot of them are out there. They're out there to be judged. They're out there taking questions in real time. They're out there, you know, taking questions for free. They're letting people into their thought process. They're sharing their attitude. They're sharing their stories. And then people can decide, not just based on what you read, like you said, because they can't just be, but you can decide just like we do with athletes. I like that athlete. I, I like the way he or she carries themselves. I like what she said in the press count, whatever. It's call me stupid, but that matters too. Like when you're judging someone's credibility, if you if you could take in their all their nonverbal, their attitude, their tone of voice, their their backstory, their why, then you could enter that in and say, you know what? I don't think I I'm gonna take another look at that study and I wanna even look at more of this scientist's work because now I'm interested. But so much of it's just these invisible faceless scientists like same time you can you can be you can be familiar with someone's personality and you have to trust that they're being authentic and sometimes there's a lot of athletes I can think of that can play the crowd and play the audience very well and come across as authentic and then we discover years later that wasn't the real them they're playing a game 
And in the same way, historically, we know that we, the public, have been manipulated by industry and science. So there has to be that question mark in the back of our heads. Is it happening again? Has to be. Otherwise, we're very naive to, to, to totally trust them, especially when they're not being transparent, as you say, and especially when they're introducing censorship. These are all like red flags to me. Why is that going on? So it's very hard to sift through it. But maybe they're muddying the waters deliberately because it's harder to see what's at the bottom. Really quick, final final topic here. We've had a great interview with my good friend Claude Abrams, who is a reformed journalist now turned. He is a, a, uh, a health consultant, runs his own gym there in the UK, and he is a, a plant-based. Um, where do you see, Claude, just you personally, where do you see us heading in light of all of the current events and the virus and lockdowns and where we are, what are the, what do you think the implications will be for health and wellness? Because this could be a game changer for us on many levels. What, where do you think it's headed and where, you know, do, is it a positive? Is it a net positive because people will be aware of, of healthy living? Where, what, what are you making of this? Mix, I think it's a mixed bag because right now I think the, the importance of the immune system has come to the forefront of, of what's going on now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whichever way you want to look at the coronavirus situation, it pays to have a strong immune system, immune system right now. Yeah. And if you haven't lived in a way if you've lived in a way that has compromised your immune system, you are now more susceptible to whatever it is that is out there. And if you can't take that on board and, and apply that information into your future choices, then you've missed a trick. So from that perspective, I think people should be uh, more awake in the future because I don't think this will be the last pandemic. They should be more awake in the future to how important it is to look after themselves. And then that's the positive side. The negative side is just the the potential mm-hmm. that the that the governments around the world are going to implement things like mandatory vaccinations, which whether you're pro or anti has to be it's more about the choice it's more about the choice and that concerns me greatly if that choice is taken away from people yeah and you would want that's that's taking your health out of your hands that that, you know what's so fascinating that you said that i wrote that down i bet i should just dig it up i wrote that in my journal today I wrote that in those exact words in my journal today. I was at the park earlier working out, and I said, where is that? Uh, Where is that one? I wrote that in my journal today, so it's so interesting that my good friend, um, yeah, I I wrote, so 4.30.20, I'm showing Clark right now, I'm in Claudia right now, dangerous to hand over our health. 
That's what I wrote today. Dangerous to hand over our health. And that, that um, I, I agree. I mean, like, you think you have a gym. I've coached jujitsu, And for anybody that has a gym or does coaching, you'd think, I mean, let's imagine if they say, uh, okay, we won't mandate vaccines or mandate whatever, right? Because the, the, the problem with mandating vaccines, like you said, whether you're for or against, because I actually don't think, even the people that they say are anti-vaccine, even in that group, they say these people are anti-vaxxers. I actually think that probably the majority of what's being called anti-vaxxers are not anti-vaccination. They are anti like they they question are these number of vaccines there or they 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 want to have sort of a pro choice of vaccination they're not against the right to vaccinate they're just saying hey uh they want the right to decide or they want the right to decide uh how many vaccines right like here in America yeah, and and they and they're questioning the safety of the contents of the vaccine as well yes absolutely and um and, and again because we're we're putting a blind faith like again there, just like there's mistakes with meat. If somebody orders meat or you order whatever, there's listeria, there's E. coli. Things happen, right? Even even with the ingredients that are there, things still happen. Things still happen in labs. People make mistakes. And so you're just putting your faith in that, that there's never going to be a mistake, that there's, you know, that, 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 that your body's going to agree with that, right? Because you're getting the virus. The virus that everyone's so scared of has to be introduced to your body now, right? People are terrified of it. Well, that virus has to go directly in your body. And we're all different. I mean, I've, I've have, I have nutritional yeast here, right? Nutritional yeast for some people with autoimmune and Crohn's disease be a really bad idea. Some people are allergic to that. So we're all, people die of peanut butter allergies. People die of shrimp allergies. So we're all different. We all don't take those vaccines, some vaccines well. People might want the right to choose. And the other thing is just on a civil liberty, people, even people who, who believe in that and vaccination can work. I'm, I'm going to say vaccination can work. Okay. It can work. The science there, vaccines can work. I'm not disputing that at all, but I would say on a civil liberties level, it is to me dangerous when government gets to say, we get to decide what goes in your body. Now we get to decide what needles and today it's one needle and in three years, it's another needle. And in four years, it'll be another needle because of another thing. And then pretty soon it's something else in the needle because of this and because of this. And so it's it's almost like ma- healthcare where you go and you have a, a healthcare system that mandates your choices and tells you, you have a torn knee ligament. The government says you can only get this, right? The government says you, ha- you if you want a surgery, it has to be this one. But you're looking at these other two and you're like, wait, there's three or four options and there's different ways to do surgery like that PRP plasma, which they were having and they were doing that. Some of the elite athletes were doing it. It was illegal here in America. Well, there were elite athletes leaving, going to other countries in Germany and so forth to get it. And it was, you know, there are procedures, even like stem cell research procedures. There's only a few places as of a couple years ago in America, relatively few, where you could get that, right? And so, so there were things like you, it's about choice and saying, listen, when it comes to your health, like I, be, I want a country where we're responsible for our health, where the government isn't like you were saying, dehumanizing you or roboticizing you and saying, we know what's best for you, Claude. We know what's best for your health. And in fact, you know, it's kind of like, I mean, like I'm being exaggerating here, but if you go into prison, they, they, the prisoners don't have much choice. They have, this is what you're eating, right? That's an exaggeration. But my point is, I want there to be a smorgasbord of choice. I want there to be personal accountability. It's a very dangerous precedent to start saying, if we head in that direction, that, you know, 
um, government decides that you need this needle. And, and what will happen, I think, my suspicion is it won't be mandated per se. It will be, if you want to get on this plane to go do your seminars or to go to Las Vegas to see Frank and, and Geese, if you want to do that, most places you're going to have to have that needle. If you want to run your gym, you're going to need that vaccine because you're going to be around so many people and you're going to be liable to a lawsuit. So what it's going to become de facto mandated in the sense that if you don't get that that vaccine or a sequence of them, whatever it is that they that that, that they that they're saying everyone needs to get, if you don't get them, you'll be doing Skype interviews or messenger. You'll be doing consulting via virtual, you know, counseling. You won't be able to you know me teach a kid's jujitsu class because you oh he's the guy who didn't get it and heaven forbid. You're asymptomatic, meaning your body at some point produced antibodies, and now you're a carrier, right? You're a carrier, even though you're fine, you're, you're super healthy. And so I, I do, I am concerned. I actually, right now to me today, it feels like to me we're headed there, and I've been trying to mentally calculate and thinking, okay, if it goes that direction, Frank, how are you going to, are you going to still teach jujitsu? Are you going to, you know, how would that affect seminars? If I go sing somewhere publicly at a cafe and there's 20 people, will I not be allowed to sing? Or will they say, as long as you're six feet away? I don't know, but I'm already preparing. And then I'm also preparing and saying, even though personally, in this case, in this particular case, I don't want this vaccine. I don't want that virus introduced to me. I have full faith in my immune system, in the decisions I make. That's why I do what I do. And... And so I understand the argument that for other people, but I just, you know, I've been doing a lot of research on it and I don't want this particular vaccine. And so I'm starting to think, well, okay, if you come into this decision where it's international travel and, and you know, coaching jujitsu or coaching nutrition clients face to face and, and, and singing in front of people, like, what'd you get? And then I'm having to think, well, okay, if you get it, then what? How, what are you going to do there? But I do think, Claude, it's like if we give, this is just such a dangerous precedent. It's so out of left field. It's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous for where we're headed because really you said something earlier and it harkens to this. And I think of this all the time. I think because you and I come of a generation where we weren't native to these digital devices. And I think about this battle between humanism and dehumanism. And we love technology is enabling this conversation, the recording of this conversation, the podcast, and there are many wonderful perks, audiobooks, documentaries, you know, media, there's some really good media. A lot of the research you and I do with the health and wellness and, and fitness is on you know via online and and, and, and Google, etc. have made it so much easier. So no one is disputing some of the wonderful points of technology. But to our point about balance, I personally feel from my perspective, that we have grossly imbalanced it. It is so far off the tracks toward artificial. I even consider a lot of the food, when I say fake food, when I consider it fake food, most of it fake food, I'm saying that's artificial food. That is dehumanizing. To me, that is de that is a, that is that is an example of dehumanization because it's not intended, in my opinion, to be in humans. And so it is artificializing. It is it is artificializing things. And so I'm not saying that some of that is good. I just think that we've swung so far to put our faith in robots, in, in, in technology, in artificial this, in chemicalized this, 
And the vaccine becomes an example. It becomes another extension of that artificialization. These are chemical artificially produced in a lab. And what it's basically saying, what I perceive it to be saying, on a spiritual level, on a deep spiritual level, what I say, look, the human, human body and everything is not good enough. The human immune system is not good enough. The human spirit's not good enough. We're just so flawed. We're just so weak. We're just so pathetic. And we need artificial, chemical, technological, uh, robotic to come in and fix us and save us. And I see that as, an, as a great a spiritual affront to my views, my spiritual views. I see it as like, wait, I'm not saying people shouldn't have that choice. But to really create the world where it's like, I, as a spiritual person, have to be like, I have to forfeit my faith in human and, and that there's something wrong and so flawed in human. I think that that's why even a lot of things going on in the world now is that we've gotten away from being human with the exercise, with the nature, with the foods that are nature sun-kissed, and people have gotten away from it, and it's about a balance. It's about a return to a lot of the essence of what makes us human and not just digital and dehumanized. I'm not speaking against all of it. I'm just saying I perceive a, a what I think now is a gross imbalance. It's almost like we're on a very pivotal point. Yeah. Uh, we're either going to fall the way of restructuring the way we live and, our, and the foundations of our society that incorporates a more natural way of living, because we've realized how fragile the whole system is, that during the course of this lockdown, our economies are crashing. So we're either going to restructure all that in order to make it more, more robust in case something like this does happen again, or we're going to flip the other way where we do actually become robots. We do all become mandatorily vaccinated and technology does take over and we'll have less and less choice in how we live our lives. Yeah, because we'll the, the, monitor, we'll the, be monitored 24-7. Yeah. And they're going to say that the computer algorithm is smarter than us and the computer algorithm decided X, so you must do X because that's going to be the new science. It's like, and you can manipulate the problem with a lot of the data. Listen, science is fantastic too and there's some fantastic science and a lot of the nutritional stuff that I've learned is via science uh you know, reinforcing it, I should say, because a lot of it is common sense when you get into it, but, but there is a science that reinforces those things. But we and I both know, as journalists, it's like my lawyer friends would tell me, you can, make, you can make numbers do anything you want. You can make stats do whatever you want. I mean, there's all kinds of out there with computer algorithms and data. And so when you start getting into everything being stat-based, data-based, whatever, and you have the power in so few hands, you could very easily manipulate data. You could you can omit data, you can just frame data for certain data taken by there's, itself. There's, there's the saying, isn't there, that statistics don't lie, but statisticians do. Yes. So I'm concerned that if we go to where, because, you know, for me, and I think science is wonderful, but, but to me, in a lot of ways, science has become the new religion because now we're headed down this train where the science, the science and the experts want to say, this is what the best science says today, so we have to do it. And that, that is in, in many ways going to behave very much like a lot of the oppressive religions did. The oppressive religions said the same thing, which is, we said, or but it just came from a different authority. Now the authority that's imposing is science, and, the, and before the, the authority that was imposing was religion, right? And so it's just, 
it's the same to me. It's the same game. It's just a different. It's just a different. Okay, now it's science, right? And so because the problem with science is not science. It's that science is rarely settled, and science can easily be manipulated, as we've seen with nutrition and science and who funds it and, and agendas and and even. I remember reading one one study. It was on antidepressants. You mentioned antidepressants. We have a lot of antidepressants here. And they were talking about it was an NIH, National Institute of Health. They crunched like 200 and some met, met, uh, studies. So it was a metadata study. Super comprehensive. And they found the efficacy of prescription drugs was like less than 15%. The proven efficacy, factoring in placebo and everything else, was like 15%. Basically like, how is this a, less than 15%? Yes, NIH. And basically, the bottom line was like, how is it possible? We have a multi, we have so many people on antidepressants, multi-billion-dollar industry, uh, uh, industry, and and NIH is writing this study, which very few will read. And what the 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 interesting caveat that NIH had, which is like, wait, how did NIH wind up with a way lower efficacy than all these other studies? Not just because they crunched the studies, not just because they crunched two hundred something. What NIH did is NIH somehow got access to studies that never saw publicly the light of day. They did not release them, but they got to look at them. And so what that introduced me to was that the FDA gives the company the right. If you, if you pay for the study, you own the study. You have a right to halt it at any point without it ever seeing the light of day. If, if it goes to fruition and you see the results and you don't like them, you can bury the study. It has no right to be out there publicly. So what's interesting about that is a lot of things can get skewed like that where you just keep throwing spaghetti at a wall, you keep funding something, you keep playing around with the variables. Like, like Dr. Greger talks about this with some of the stuff where they'll say, you know, uh, they'll test a, a, a bacon and cheeseburger versus, you know, macaroni and say, well, it, doesn't, it didn't spike insulin, right? Because, because the, 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 the comparison group is so abysmal, right? They don't compare it against you know, a, a pristine salad or right? they compare it against, make it against some other crappy food. And then you say, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't spike the insulin. It doesn't produce that response. Right. So you, there's a lot of tricks there. And that was one of the tricks that NIH had exposed, which is a lot of the studies around antidepressants that were funded, they were either halted or when they came to conclusion, the whoever funded them did not like the results and they never saw the light of day how NIH got access to them. They did not publicize them, but they got to look at them and factor that into an efficacy of the drug. That, and so that's the fear is that you could say, well, all of our studies show whatever. And it's like, well, wait, show me all the studies that were thrown out too that you, that you didn't, or you halted them, you didn't like the result, right? You halted them because the arrow wasn't pointing where you wanted it to point, the conclusion. Because you and I both know, a lot of these people are paying money for these studies. They wanted to say, hey, this food is great. Dairy's great. This is great. Cigarettes are Absolutely. great. I mean, you're not going to yes. fund and all that. And that's what's, that's what's been happening for many, many years. Yeah. You're not going to fund that. If you, if, 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 you know, who, who wants to fund it and be like, hey, oh, by the way, heads up, uh, pasteurized milk is crappy for you. You know, I mean, <laughs> like, no, no one's going to pay for that, right? Anyway, Claude Abrams. Claude, how do people, it, it, I, actually, his email is Claude at Intelligent, 2L. Intelligent Strength, Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, at intelligentstrength.co.uk, .co.uk, Claude at intelligentstrength.co.uk. I am Frank Forza. 
You can reach me. You can follow me on Instagram, Frank underscore Forza. Um, YouTube, Frank Forza. And Facebook, Frank Forza. Claude Abrams is also on Facebook. I am Frankie at FrankieForza.com. Thank you so much, Claude. It's been a pleasure. It's late there you, in the UK. We'll talk again soon. We're gonna do. We, we're gonna figure out the video one, and we're gonna do a video follow up soon. Brilliant. Let's do it. See you, buddy. Thank you, Frank. Bye, bud.